0: Chapter One, Part Two of Royal Highness by Thomas Mann. Translated by A. Cecil Curtis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Margaret Espayat. At this point, the conversation between the two ministers ceased. It was broken off by the announcement by Aide-de-Camp von Lichterloh of the happy issue of the confinement. The smaller banqueting hall was soon filled with officials. One of the great carved doors was quickly thrown open, and the aide-de-camp appeared in the hall. He had a red face, blue soldier's eyes, a bristling flaxen moustache, and silver lace on his collar. He looked somewhat excited, like a man who had been released from deadly boredom and was primed with good news. Conscious of the unusualness of the occasion, he boldly ignored the rules of decorum and etiquette. He saluted the company gaily, and, spreading his elbows, raised the hilt of his sword almost to his breast crying beg leave to announce a prince good said adjutant-general count schmettern delightful quite delightful i call that perfectly delightful said lord marshal von Bulzubul in his jerky way he had recovered consciousness at once the president of the high consistory dom vitzelzenus a clean-shaven well-built man who as a son of a general Thanks to his personal distinction, had attained to his high dignity at a comparatively early age, and on whose black silk gown hung the star of an order, folded his white hands on his breast and said in a melodious voice, "God bless His Grand Ducal Highness." You forget, Captain," said Herr von Knobelsdorff, laughing, "that in making your announcement you are encroaching on my privileges and province." until i have made the most searching investigations into the state of affairs the question whether it is a prince or princess remains undecided the others laughed and herr von Lichterloh replied as you wish your excellency then i have the honour to beg your excellency to assume this most important charge this dialogue referred to the attributes of the minister of state as registrar of the grand ducal house in which capacity he was required to satisfy himself with his own eyes of the sex of the princely offspring, and to make an official declaration on the subject. Herr von Knobelstorff complied with this formality in the so-called powder-closet in which the newborn babe was bathed. He stayed longer there, however, than he intended to, as he was puzzled and arrested by a painful sight, which at first he mentioned to nobody except the midwife. Dr. Knadebusch showed him the child, and her eyes, gleaming mysteriously behind her thick spectacles, travelled between the Minister of State and the little copper-coloured creature, as it groped about with one, only one, little hand, as if she was saying, Is it all right? It was all right. Herr von Knobelsdorff was satisfied, and the wise woman wrapped the child up again but even then she continued to look down at the prince and then up at the baron until she had drawn his eyes to the point to which she wished to attract them the wrinkles at the corners of his eyes disappeared he knit his brows tried compared felt examined for two or three minutes and at last asked has the grand duke yet seen it no excellency when the grand duke sees it said herr von knobelsdorff tell him that he will grow out of it and to the others on the ground floor he reported a splendid prince but ten or fifteen minutes after him the grand duke also made the disagreeable discovery that was unavoidable and resulted for surgeon-general eschrich in a short extremely unpleasant scene but for the grimburg doctor sammet in an interview with the grand duke which raised him considerably in the latter's estimation, and was useful to him in his subsequent career. What happened was briefly as follows. After the birth Johann Albrecht had again retired to the library, and then returned to sit for some time at the bedside with his wife's hand in his. Thereupon he went into the powder-closet, where the infant now lay in his high, richly gilded cradle, half covered with the blue silk curtain and sat down in an armchair by the side of his little son but while he sat and watched the sleeping infant it happened that he noticed what it was hoped that he would not notice yet he drew the counterpane back his face clouded over and then he did exactly what herr von knobelsdorff had done before him looked from dr knadebusch to the nurse and back again both of whom said nothing cast one glance at the half-open door into the bride-chamber and stalked excitedly back into the library here he at once rang the silver eagle-topped bell which stood on the writing-table and said to herr von lichterloh who came in very curtly and coldly i require herr eschrich when the grand duke was angry with any member of his suite he was wont to strip the culprit for the moment of all his titles and dignities and to leave him nothing but his bare name. The aide-de-camp again clapped his spurs and heels together and withdrew. Johann Albrecht strode once or twice in a rage up and down the room, and then, hearing Herr von Lichterloh bring the person he had summoned into the anteroom, adopted an audience attitude at his writing-table. As he stood there, his head turned imperiously in half-profile, his left hand planted on his hip, drawing back his satin-fronted frock-coat from his white waistcoat. He exactly resembled his portrait by Professor von Lindemann, which hung beside the big looking-glass over the mantelpiece in the Hall of the Twelve Months in the town Schloss, opposite the portrait of Dorothea, and of which countless engravings, photographs, and picture postcards had been published. The only difference was that Johann Albrecht in the portrait seemed to be of heroic stature, while he really was scarcely of medium height. His forehead was high where his hair had receded, and from under his grey eyebrows his blue eyes looked out, with dark rings around them, giving them an expression of tired haughtiness. He had the broad, rather too high cheekbones which were characteristic of his people. His whiskers and the soft tuft on his chin were grey his mustache almost white. From the distended nostrils of his small but well-arched nose, two unusually deep furrows ran down to his chin. The lemon-colored ribbon of the family order always showed in the opening of his waistcoat. In his buttonhole, the Grand Duke wore a carnation. Surgeon General Eschrich entered with a low bow. He had taken off his operating coat His eyelid drooped more heavily than usual over his eye. He looked apprehensive and uncomfortable. The Grand Duke, his left hand on his hip, threw his head back, stretched out his right hand, and waved it, palm upwards, several times up and down impatiently. I am awaiting an explanation, a justification, Surgeon General, said he, with a voice trembling with irritation. You will have the goodness to answer my questions. "'What is the matter with the child's arm?' The physician, in ordinary, raised his hand a little. A feeble gesture of impotence and blamelessness, he said. "'And it please, Your Royal Highness, an unfortunate occurrence. Unfavourable circumstances during the pregnancy of Her Royal Highness. That's all nonsense!' The Grand Duke was so much excited that he did not wish for any justification. In fact, he would not allow one i would remind you sir that i am beside myself unfortunate occurrence it was your business to take precautions against unfortunate occurrences the surgeon-general stood with half-bowed head and sinking his voice to a submissive tone addressed the ground at his feet i humbly beg to be allowed to remind you that i at least am not alone responsible privy Councillor grassinger an authority on gynaecology "'Examined, Her Royal Highness, but nobody can be held responsible in this case.' "'Nobody, really. I permit myself to make you responsible. You are answerable to me. You were in charge during the pregnancy. You superintended the confinement. I have relied on the knowledge to be expected from your rank, Surgeon General. I have trusted to your experience. I am bitterly disappointed. Bitterly disappointed.' all that your skill can boast of is that a crippled child has been born would your royal highness graciously weigh i have weighed i have weighed and found wanting thank you surgeon-general eschrich retired backwards bowing in the anteroom he shrugged his shoulders while his cheeks glowed the grand duke again fell to pacing the library in his princely wrath unreasonable misinformed and foolish in his loneliness. However, whether it was that he wished to humiliate the physician in Ordinary still further, or that he regretted having robbed himself of any explanations, ten minutes later the unexpected happened, and the Grand Duke sent Herr von Lichterlo to summon young Dr. Sammet to the library. The doctor, when he received the message, again said, "'Quite delighted, quite delighted,' and at first changed colour a little, then composed himself admirably. It is true that he was not a complete master of the prescribed etiquette, and bowed too soon, while he was still in the door, so that the aide-de-camp could not close it behind him, and had to ask him in a whisper to move forward. But afterwards he stood in an easy and unconstrained attitude, and gave reassuring answers, although he showed that he was naturally rather slow of speech, beginning his sentences with hesitating noises and frequently interspersing them with a yes as if to confirm what he was saying he wore his dark yellow hair cut en brosse and his moustache untrimmed his chin and cheeks were clean shaved and rather sore from it he carried his head a little on one side and the gaze of his grey eyes told of shrewdness and practical goodness his nose which was too broad at the bottom pointed to his origin he wore a black tie and his shiny boots were of a country cut he kept his elbows close to his side with one hand on his silver watch-chain his whole appearance suggested candour and professional skill it inspired confidence the grand duke addressed him unusually graciously rather in the manner of a teacher who has been scolding a naughty boy and turns to another with a sudden assumption of mildness i have sent for you doctor i want information from you about this peculiarity in the body of the new-born prince i assume that it has not escaped your notice i am confronted with a riddle an extremely painful riddle in a word i desire your opinion and the grand duke changing his position ended with a gracious motion of the hand which encouraged the doctor to speak Dr. Samet looked at him silently and attentively, as if waiting till the Grand Duke had completely regained his princely composure. Then he said, "'Yes. We have here to do with a case which is not a very common occurrence, but which is well known and familiar to us. Yes, it is actually a case of atrophy.' "'Excuse me, atrophy?' "'Forgive me, Royal Highness. I mean, stunted growth. Yes.' "'I see. Stunted growth. Stunting, that's it. The left hand is stunted. But it's unheard of. I cannot understand it. Such a thing has never happened in my family. People talk nowadays about heredity.' Again the doctor looked silently and attentively at the lonely and domineering man, to whom the news had only just penetrated that people were talking lately about heredity. He answered simply, pardon me royal highness but in this case there can be no question of heredity really you're quite sure said the grand duke rather mockingly that is one satisfaction but will you be so kind as to tell me what there can be a question of then with pleasure royal highness the cause of the malformation is entirely a mechanical one it has been caused through mechanical constriction during the development of the embryo We call such malformations constriction formations. Yes. The Grand Duke listened with anxious disgust. He obviously feared the effect of each succeeding word on his sensitiveness. He kept his brows knit and his mouth open. The two furrows running down to his beard seemed deeper than ever. He said, "'Constriction formations.' "'But how in the world?' "'I am quite sure every precaution must have been taken.' constriction formations answered dr sammet can occur in various ways but we can say with comparative certainty that in our case in this case it is the amnion which is to blame i beg your pardon the amnion that is one of the foetal membranes royal highness yes and in certain circumstances the removal of this membrane from the embryo may be retarded and proceed so slowly that threads and cords are left stretching from one to the other. Amniotic threads, as we call them, yes. These threads may be dangerous, for they can bind and knot themselves round the whole of a child's limb. They can entirely intercept, for instance, the life-ducts of a hand and even amputate it. Yes. Great heavens, amputate it! So we must be thankful that it has not come to an amputation of the hand?" that might have happened yes but all that has happened is an unfastening resulting in an atrophy and that could not be discovered foreseen prevented no royal highness absolutely not it is quite certain that no blame whatever attaches to anybody such constrictions do their work in secret we are powerless against them yes and the malformation is incurable the hand will remain stunted dr sammet hesitated he looked kindly at the grand duke it will never be quite normal certainly not he said cautiously but the stunted hand will grow a little larger than it is at present oh yes it assuredly will will he be able to use it for instance to hold his reins or to make gestures like any one else use it a little perhaps not much and he's got his right hand that's all right will it be very obvious asked the grand duke and scanned dr sammet's face earnestly very noticeable will it detract much from his general appearance thank you many people answered dr sammet evasively live and work under greater disadvantages yes the grand duke turned away and walked once up and down the room dr sammet deferentially made way for him and withdrew towards the door At last the Grand Duke resumed his position at the writing-table, and said, I have now heard what I wanted to know, doctor. I thank you for your report. You understand your business, no doubt about that. Why do you live in Grimborg? Why do you not practice in the capital? I am still young, Royal Highness, and before I devote myself to practicing as a specialist in the capital, I should like a few years of really varied practice, of general experience and research." A country town like Grimburg affords the best opportunity of that, yes. Very sound, very admirable of you. In what do you propose to specialize later on? In the diseases of children, Royal Highness. I intend to be a children's doctor, yes. You are a Jew? asked the Grand Duke, throwing back his head and screwing up his eyes. Yes, Royal Highness. Ah, will you answer me one more question? have you ever found your origin to stand in your way a drawback in your professional career i ask as a ruler who is especially concerned that the principle of equal chances for all shall hold good unconditionally and privately not only officially everybody in the grand duchy answered dr sammet has the right to work but he did not stop there moving his elbows like a pair of short wings in an awkward impassioned way He made a few hesitating noises, and then added, in a restrained but eager voice, No principle of equalization, if I may be allowed to remark, will ever prevent the incidents in the life of the community of exceptional and abnormal men who are distinguished from the bourgeois by their nobleness or infamy. It is the duty of the individual not to concern himself as to the precise nature of the distinction between him and the common herd but to see what is the essential in that distinction, and to recognize that it imposes on him an exceptional obligation towards society. A man is at an advantage, not at a disadvantage, compared with the regular, and therefore complacent majority, if he has one motive more than they to extraordinary exertions. "'Yes, yes,' repeated Dr. Sammet. The double affirmative was meant to confirm his answer.' "'Good. Not bad. Very remarkable, anyhow,' said the Grand Duke judicially. He found Dr. Sammet's words suggestive, though somewhat off the point. He dismissed the young man with the words, "'Well, doctor, my time is limited. I thank you. This interview, apart from its painful occasion, has much reassured me. I have the pleasure of bestowing on you the Albrecht Cross of the Third Class with Crown.' i shall remember you thank you this was what passed between the grimburg doctor and the grand duke shortly after johann albrecht left the castle and returned by special train to the capital chiefly to show himself to the rejoicing populace but also in order to give several audiences in the palace it was arranged that he should return in the evening to the castle and take up his residence there for the next few weeks all those present at the confinement at grimburg who did not belong to the grand duchess's suite were also accommodated in the special train of the bankrupt local railway some of them travelling in the sovereign's own saloon but the grand duke drove from the castle to the station alone with von knobelsdorff the minister of state in an open landau one of the brown court carriages with the little golden crown on the door the white feathers in the hats of the chasseurs in front fluttered in the summer breeze. Johann Albrecht was grave and silent on the journey. He seemed to be worried and morose. And although Herr von Knobelsdorf knew that the Grand Duke, even in private, disliked anybody addressing him unasked and uninvited, yet at last he made up his mind to break the silence. Your Royal Highness, he said deprecatingly, seems to take so much to heart the little anomaly which has been discovered in the prince's body and yet one would think that on a day like this the reasons for joy and proud thankfulness so far outweigh my dear knobelsdorff replied johann albrecht with some irritation and almost in tears you must forgive my ill-humour you surely do not wish me to be in good spirits i can see no reason for being so The grand duchess is going on well, true enough, and the child is a boy, that's a blessing too, but he has come into the world with an atrophy, a constriction, caused by amniotic threads. Nobody is to blame, it is a misfortune, but misfortunes for which nobody is to blame are the most terrible of all misfortunes, and the sight of their sovereign ought to awaken in his people other feelings than those of sympathy. The heir apparent is delicate, needs constant care. It was a miracle that he survived the attack of pleurisy two years ago, and it will be nothing less than a miracle if he lives to attain his majority. Now heaven grants me a second son. He seems strong, but he comes into the world with only one hand. The other is stunted, useless, a deformity. He will have to hide it. What a drawback! What an impediment! He will have to brave it out before the world all his life. We must let it gradually leak out, so that it may not cause too much of a shock on his first appearance in public. No, I cannot yet get over it, a prince with one hand." "'With one hand,' said Herr von Knobelsdorff. Did your royal highness use that expression twice deliberately?" "'Deliberately?' You did not, then, for the prince has two hands. Yet, as one is stunted, one might, if one liked, also describe him as a prince with one hand. What, then? And one must also wish, not that your royal highness's second son, but that the heir to the throne were the victim of this small malformation. What do you mean by that? Why, your royal highness will laugh at me, but I am thinking of the gypsy woman. The gypsy woman? Please go on, my dear baron of the gypsy woman forgive me who a hundred years ago prophesied the birth of a prince to your royal highness's house a prince with one hand that is how tradition puts it and attached to the birth of that prince a certain promise couched in peculiar terms the grand duke turned on his seat and stared without saying a word at herr von knobelsdorff at the outer corner of whose eyes the radiating wrinkles were playing then Mighty entertaining, he said, and resumed his former attitude. Prophecies, continued Herr von Knobelsdorf, generally come true to this extent, that circumstances arise which one can interpret, if one has a mind to, in their sense, and the broadness of the terms in which every proper prophecy is couched makes this all the more easy. With one hand, that is regular oracle style." what has actually happened is a moderate case of atrophy but that much counts for a good deal for what is there to prevent me what is there to prevent the people from assuming the whole by this partial fulfilment and declaring that the conditional part of the prophecy has been fulfilled the people will do so if not at once at any rate if the rest of the prophecy the actual promise is in any way realised It will put two and two together, as it always has done, in its wish to see what is written turn out true. I don't see how it is going to come about. The prince is a younger son. He will not come to the throne. The intentions of fate are obscure, but the one-handed prince is there, and so may he bestow on us as much as he can. The Grand Duke did not answer, secretly thrilled by dreams of the future of his dynasty. "'Well, Knobelsdorf, I will not be angry with you. You want to comfort me, and you have not done it badly. But I must do what is expected of me.' The air resounded with the distant cheers of many voices. The people of Grimburg were crowded in black masses behind the cordon at the station. Officials were standing apart in front, waiting for the carriages. There was the mayor, raising his top hat, wiping his forehead with a crumpled handkerchief and poring over a paper whose contents he was committing to memory. Johann Albrecht assumed the expression appropriate to listening to the smoothly worded address, and to answering concisely and graciously, Most excellent, Mr. Mayor. The town was dressed with flags, and the bells were ringing. In the capital all the bells were ringing, and in the evening there were illuminations, not by formal request of the authorities, but spontaneous. The whole city was a blaze of light. End of section two.